0: Good morning everyone, it's a great day, we uh, we started in a great way and we're going to end it in a great way because we are talking about a fantastic thing that happened uh, way back about 2,750 years ago that is still applicable to us today in a most wonderful way. So you know that we are in a series uh, called Pursued in the book of Jonah. And today we are going to read from Jonah chapter 4. And so before I say anything else, this is what we're going to do. We're going to read this chapter 4. If you have your Bibles or your devices and you want to follow, you're welcome. It will also be on the screen for you to follow. So let's start off by reading from Jonah chapter 4. Now, this book of Jonah is a fantastic book, and we know the story. And so chapter 4 is the last uh, chapter of the book. It only consists of four short chapters, and uh, this is the conclusion, but it's a climactic conclusion uh, that we are going to see. So we start uh, from uh, 3 verse 10 and then going on to 4. When God saw what they had done, now this is uh, the Ninevites, you remember? Jonah delivered his message to the Ninevites and the king said to them, okay, we've got to repent. And they repented um, of their uh, wickedness and then God saw what they did. And God said, Uh, When God saw what they they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. This change of plans greatly upset Jonah and he became very angry. Sounds strange, but we'll see it's not strange. Uh, There was a reason why he got angry with God. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? So when the Lord said to him, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh and to uh, bring this message to the Ninevites, he was upset. And he refused. He said to the Lord, listen, I'm upset about this. So Jonah didn't just quietly decide by himself he's not going to go to Nineveh and then took off in the direction of Tarshish. No, he, he had a conversation with God and an argument with God. And uh, what he said was, That is why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. Just kill me now, Lord. <laughs> I'd rather be dead than alive if what I preach will not happen. So if we look at this, we might get the impression that Jonah was concerned about his own reputation here. But we'll see it wasn't like that at all. So the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry about this? Then Jonah went out to the east side of the city and made a shelter to sit under as he waited to see what would happen to the city? And the Lord God arranged for a leafy plant to grow there, and soon it spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head, shading him from the sun. The, uh, this eased his discomfort, and Jonah was very grateful to the plant uh, for the plant. But God had another plan. So that night, while Jonah was sleeping. God arranged for a worm. (laughs) And so, the next morning, at dawn, the worm ate through the stem of the plant so that it withered away. And as the sun grew hot, God arranged for another thing, for a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. The sun beat down on his head until he grew faint and wished to die. Death is certainly better than living like this, he exclaimed. Then the Lord said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? And listen to his reply. He's now angry. And he says, Yes! Even... I'm even angry to die. <laughs> so now he's, saying, he's challenging God. He's saying, Yes, it's right for me to be angry so angry that I would rather die. And then the Lord said, you feel sorry about the plant, though you did nothing to put it there. It came quickly, and it died quickly. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? Now, the Book of Jonah is a very short book as we've seen, and this is the the last, the end of the book. But to fully grasp the magnificence of what we have just read, we just have to dial back a bit and put Nineveh in in a picture in the picture. And also to put Jonah in the, in the picture. Because this, what we have read from chapter 1 to 4. It's not all that the Bible says about Jonah. So I think if we look at the Bible, uh, if we look at Jonah, then we have to establish first of all whether Jonah, the book of Jonah is fact or fiction. So there are many people that uh, that think that Jonah is is fiction. Many Bible scholars. Some say, well, it's just a parable. You know, like Jesus' parables. Uh, a story with a moral content. Others say, no, it's an allegory. So it's also neither a, a, one of, neither a parable nor an allegory is fact. It's stories with moral content. And um, you can't look at a parable and, and say that's factual. So if Jesus... Uh, gave a parable. He, the parable was the story with a moral content. A story of um, heaven, the, the kingdom of heaven, for example. It wasn't fact. It was just a story. So the, the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, neither the rich man nor Lazarus were actual people. It was a story. Neither... What Abraham said in, sat in heaven uh, was it wasn't fact. It, it's a story. And the purpose of the story was to bring home a, some moral issue in terms of the kingdom of God. So, there, if you look at the Bible, there are 66 book and, books in the Bible and they were written by 40 authors. And uh, often, most often, most often, there was no connection between them. They couldn't go from one author to the other. So they didn't know about each other, or they lived in various ages. But uh, there is a, a thread that we can follow through. And we see that these authors, these 40 authors, they were all different in nature. And some of them were very factual. So they would Uh, write down facts about what happened. So the author of the books of kings and uh, chronicles wrote down history, the history of the kings of Israel. And then you get another guy like David, he wrote songs and poems. So we had poetry. And Solomon wrote wisdom uh, literature. So we have different genres in the bible and we can see seven different genres in the bible the first is is history the historical books like i said those would be books like the kings like kings and chronicles and in the new testament uh, the gospels and acts those are historical facts and we can still today trace it as as a matter of fact as we develop our archaeology and more information came come from archaeology we find that more and more come, uh, evidence is revealed of the history of the Bible. And so we can check the facts when it comes to historical books. And then we have other books uh, such as the law. This was the books that were given to Moses. Uh, so we see the law in different books, the law of God. and. Uh, Poetry, as I said, and wisdom literature, and prophecy. Many of the prophets in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, they make up the the prophecy genre. And then we have uh, apocalyptic genre. Daniel in the Old Testament and uh, Revelation in the New Testament fall under that genre. And then we have um, the epistles letters that were written. So mostly we find the epistles in the New Testament. And so where does uh, uh, Jonah, the book of Jonah, fit into all of these genres? Well, Jonah is not a parable. And we know that because we can check the facts. So we can check, he uh, he writes the, the Take it that Jonah wrote the book of Jonah, and he identifies himself, and he identifies his father. Those are facts. We know that Nineveh existed. It's a fact. We know that Joppa existed. It's a fact. And we know that Tarshish existed. Those are all facts, historical facts, that are mentioned in the book of Jonah. So Jonah is not a parable. It's a factual book. Jonah is also not an allegory. Um, so an allegory is also symbolic and it's fictional. It's a story, so it's a narrative, but it's uh, symbolic and it mean, its meaning is not ex- uh, expli- explicitly set forth to, um, uh, to identify uh, things in, in, in fact. So an example of an allegory is when Nathan, the prophet Nathan went to David. After David committed adultery with Bathsheba, then she uh, became pregnant, and David had her husband put on the front lines of the war so that he could uh, most probably die, and which he eventually did in the battle. And uh, then Nathan, the, the Lord sent Nathan to David to um, to reprimand him and to tell him that he's not pleased with what David did and that there will be consequences. But Nathan was going to the king, right? So he wasn't going to the king and say to the king, you know, you evil king, and so on. So he was very clever. He went to the king with an allegory, an allegory which made the king react so that the king actually pronounced judgment on himself. Do you, re, you remember the story, right? The story of uh, the, the poor man who had one sheep and the rich man who had many sheep. Um, and uh, so that's the whole story. So it was an allegory. And the, the poor man represented Bathsheba's husband and the rich man represented the king. And eventually David said, well, a man, an evil man like that should be killed. And then... Nathan said to him, but you, that man. And so uh, this is an allegory, but clearly Jonah is not an allegory. So Jonah is a prophecy, so it will fall in the genre of prophecy, but it also falls in the genre of historical narrative. It's fact. And we can cross-check. So if we go to 2 Kings chapter 14, we see a story about Jonah, in the time of King Jeroboam too, where he actually goes with a message from the Lord to Jeroboam, and it gives him this message, and it there it confirms again that Jonah was the prophet, his father was Amittai, and that he lived in a, in a certain town, a town by the name of Gathheba, um, which is historical, we can, Go read the history, we can find it on a historical map. It's there. So Jesus also referred to Jonah in a historical context. And he referred to Jonah twice in the book of uh, the Gospel of Matthew and once in the Gospel of Luke. And when he referred to Jonah, it was in a factual way. It was not in a uh, in, in a storytelling way of anything like that. It was in a factual way. So they asked him, the, the Pharisees asked him for a sign. They always wanted signs. So, so they asked him for a sign that he comes from God. And he said, I won't give you a sign except the sign of Jonah. And uh, what was this sign of Jonah? So we'll have a look and uh, look at that. Now, this city of Gath-Heber was close to the the town of Nazareth. They were about eight kilometers apart. And so it was in this uh, area of uh, Galilee and close to where Jesus grew up. So Jonah was, although he lived 750 years before Christ, he was known as a prophet from that area. And Jesus, no doubt, grew up with the story of Jonah and how the people told the story of Jonah. So he was convinced that the story of Jonah was a fact and not fiction. So there on the slide you can see the red arrows uh, pointing to uh, Gath-Ephir and um, to, to Nazareth, and you can see how close they were together. If you look at the, at the map of Israel and Judah to the south, we see that uh, Galilee was like, um, or, or Israel, the, the kingdom of Israel was like an international place. Because all the roads, the different uh, uh, routes, trade routes, and uh, routes that the kings followed in their uh, conquests, they all went through that area, and they all crossed at a little hill called Megiddo, where our name, Armageddon, um, um, comes from. So it's um, an international area where people, many people, came together. And so that's why, I think, why the Lord put Jesus there in, in the first place. If we go to the south, to the kingdom of Judah, we see that's a bit to the side, of all the, these roads. And so that was a more nationalistic area. And we see that in the, the, uh, the religion of the time, these people were very religious uh, that came around Jerusalem and the temple and all those things. And the Pharisees came from that area. Uh, but in in the north, People came from all over, and when Jesus started his ministry, people came from all over to listen to him. It was a cosmopolitan place. Uh, so the, uh, it's important to know that this is where, where, uh, where God put his son to, to bring the kingdom of God near to all people. Anyway... Jesus lived with this story in this area, with the story of uh, Jonah for 30 years before he went out and started his own ministry. Now, I want to read to you just this little passage from Luke chapter 11 verse 29 where Jesus talks about Jonah. And why I want to read that to you is because he says something very significant that uh, applies to uh, our text in in Jonah now it says there that the crowd pressed in on Jesus. these people that came from all over they pressed in on Jesus, and uh, Jesus said to them then and they also asked him uh, the Pharisees that were in the crowd asked him for a sign, and he said, No, 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 an evil generation looks for a sign ask an evil generation keeps asking me to show them a miraculous sign. Why did he say an evil generation? Because he, it was prophesied about him in the, in the prophets, which were the texts that the Pharisees studied. But they didn't believe the text. They didn't believe the, the, the prophets, and so they wanted a sign. And that's why he called them evil because they didn't believe what the Lord had said through the prophets. And so, but only the only sign I will give you is the sign of Jonah. What happened to him was a sign to the people of Nineveh that God had sent him. What happens to the Son of Man will be a sign to these people that he was sent by God. And so, here it is. Jesus thinks of Jonah not in the uh, the form of a story, but as an actual person. And he said, Jonah was a sign to the people of Nineveh. And a sign points to something, doesn't it? When we go out, there's a sign that says, go this way or that way or stop here and don't stop here. There are signs all over the place. And those signs point to something. And so Jonah was given us a sign here is pointing to something. And Jesus confirms that fact. He was assigned to the Ninevites that pointed to something. Now, the slide that you see behind me is a slide, not that one, that one. It's a bit uh, faint, but it shows an artist's impression of Nineveh. Nineveh was located on the banks of the Tigris River. And you see the palace of uh, the king there, as an artist's depiction of the palace of the king. And to the right, to the left there, uh, you can faintly see what is called a ziggurat. That's a stepped uh, pyramid-shaped tower. That encompassed a temple. And that temple was a temple to a specific god. So there were many different gods in uh, the Assyrian kingdom, the Assyrians uh, uh, worshipped many gods, but they worshipped one god which was named Dagon. We remember Dagon from Samson's time, right? Uh, in the temple of the Philistines. And here was uh, Dagon again. Now, Dagon, this uh, idol, this god was a, a fish ma- uh, man god. So his lower half of his body was like a fish, and the upper half was like a, 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 a man's body. And this is very significant when, uh, when it comes to Jonah. So why did the Ninevites actually believe Jonah? Remember, they didn't believe in the God of Israel, Right? But they believed Jonah when he said that God is going to um, to punish you. So why would they believe Jonah? Well, the story tells us that Jonah was swallowed, was thrown into the sea, and he actually died when he was thrown into the sea. When Jonah wrote the book, he wasn't writing it when he was dying, right? When he was in the sea, it's a recollection of what he thought, his thoughts while he was dying. People say that sometimes your whole life can flash before you in in a matter of seconds when you're in a dangerous position. And so Jonah was thrown off a ship in a very big storm and he went under. He says that he went under. He says that he went down to the bottom of the sea, the roots of the mountains, and he was sur- t- uh, surrounded by seaweeds and so on. And he also says that he went to Sheol. Sheol is the place of the dead. So he was there and he was in the place of the dead. And so the the fish came that God sent. The fish came and picked him up from the bottom of the sea. And the fish swallowed him. And there he was in the fish for three days. No living man could stay alive in the belly of a fish for three days. And after three days, God caused this fish to spit him out again. And he spit him out where? On the shores of of Assyria, where he was supposed to go. He spit him out there. But do you think that if Jonah was there in the belly of the fish, and the fish spit him out, that there would be no sign on him that he was in the belly of a fish? Jesus was on the cross, right? And when he was on the cross, he came down from the cross, he died, they came down, they buried him, and he was resurrected. And he met with his disciples, and this one guy, a guy by the name of Thomas said, no, no, I won't believe that you are uh, Christ unless you can show me the, 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 the places where the, the wounds, where the nails went and the, the spear went. So show me that, then I will believe. And Jesus showed him. So Jesus had the marks of the cross on him after his resurrection. What happened to him before he died was visible in his body. And so what happened to to Jonah after the fish had swallowed him was visible in his body. When he came out and he went to Nineveh, the people obviously asked him, What happened to you? And when he told them that he was swallowed by a fish and spit out by a fish, they immediately made the connection to their God. And so when he said, God sent me, they didn't think about the God of Israel. They didn't know the God of Israel. They weren't interested in the God of Israel because they had conquered Israel so many times that their God was stronger than the God of Israel in their eyes. So they saw him there. Here comes Jonah. He's probably bleached white from the stomach acids. And he comes out and and, and he walks into the city and they look at this man and he looks very strange and they say to him, what happened to you? He says, a fish swallowed me and spit me out and God sent me to you with this message. And when they heard the story of the fish, immediately the people said, well, this is God. And they immediately went to their king. And they said to their king, God said, here is this guy, his name is Jonah. He was sent from God. God said, we must repent. And this king let Jonah come and he looks at Jonah and he says, let's repent. Truly God has sent him, let's repent. What are they repenting of? They are repenting of their evil ways, their wickedness. They are not repenting to accept God as their Savior, the God of Israel as their Savior. They are repenting from their evil ways, because that's what God said. You must repent of your evil ways. And that's what they did. So they repented. And when they repented, God said to Jonah, Jonah, I'm not going to kill them. They have repented, so I will have mercy on them. And immediately Jonah was triggered. Why was Jonah triggered? Because something happened in the past. And he has filed that. And when God said to him, he's going to have mercy on the Ninevites, he drew that file. And he said, look at that. That's exactly what I told you would happen because it happened before. So how did it happen before? Why was Jonah so upset about this? Now, we can say, if we read the text, we can come to the conclusion that Jonah was upset because his reputation was on the line. He goes out there and he sits in the desert and he watches and he wants to see Nineveh destroyed. But Nineveh is not destroyed. That means his message was false. It didn't come true. That means Jonah wasn't a credible prophet. No, Jonah was not at all, not in the slightest concerned about his own reputation. If he was, why would he run away? Because everybody would know he's the guy that ran away. So why was he upset? Was he afraid of the Ninevites? That he didn't want to go to Nineveh. And he was afraid of the Ninevites that they would kill him because they were so evil. We heard before how evil these Ninevites were. These Assyrians were. No, he wasn't afraid at all. I mean, listen guys, he was on a boat in the middle of a storm. And what did he say to the, to the sailors? Throw me overboard. So is he a scared guy? And if, no, I mean... But the Ninevites can do to him didn't scare him at all if he wasn't all that scared about the sea in a storm. So he wasn't a coward. He didn't run away because he was a coward. Didn't he, did he run away because he was anti-Gentile? He was so Jewish that he was actually anti-Gentile. That happened in those times, you know, they like the Pharisees were anti-Gentile. You were not allowed to mix with the Gentiles or touch the Gentiles. You know what uh, happened to Peter, right, when he went to the house of Cornelius. And out comes this sheet from heaven with all kinds of animals uh, in it. And God said to him, eat. And he says, I can't eat all of that because some of those are not allowed. We're not allowed to eat it. And God said, no, what I have purified is pure. You can eat it. And so, and that was like a, a message to him that the, the message can be preached to, to Cornelius because Cornelius was a Gentile, right? So you see just how anti-Gentile they were, the Jews. And was it because of that that he didn't want to go to Nineveh? Well, I don't think so, because if that was the case, then why would he flee to to Tarsus, which was in Spain, across on the other side of the Mediterranean Sea? They were Gentiles, they weren't Jews, but he was prepared to go to the Gentiles on that side. He didn't want to go to the Gentiles on this side, but on that side, that's where he wanted to go. So no, I don't think that any of those theories are, are valid. But why didn't he want, why was he upset with God? And we find the answer in that chapter in, in 1 Kings but that I refer to. Jonah was a prophet in the time of Jeroboam 2. Jeroboam 2 was a very evil, a wicked king. And what God did with Jonah was amazing. God said to Jonah, Jonah. You need to go to Jeroboam, the king, and when you go there you must give him this message: I'm going to bless him. I'm going to make him strong, I'm going to make him rich and I'm going to restore all the territory that his father is, that David, King, David had before, which they have lost over time. I'm going to restore all that back to you. And Jonah was upset. And he said, but Lord, how can you bless a wicked king like that? Why would Jonah say that? Jonah was jealous of God's reputation. That's a fact. Jonah was so jealous of God's reputation that he didn't want to see evil prevail. He wanted to see evil punished and evil destroyed. These people that were anti-God, he wanted to see them destroyed. And so he wanted to see the people in Nineveh destroyed, not for any other reason than for his jealousy of God's good name. He can't have mercy on those people because they are wicked. God is a just God, and he must exercise justice. That is God's reputation. And he was now jealous for God's reputation. He forgot one thing about God. And this is the amazing thing. So Jonah didn't want to go to to Nineveh. Can you give, put on the next slide, please? Um, so that slide shows you the purple, shows you... Uh, The kingdom of David and the dark purple. The kingdom of Solomon extended even further north. But the dark purple area, that was the kingdom of David. So in Jeroboam's time, of course, there was a southern kingdom, Judah, and a northern kingdom, Israel. But the northern kingdom was much smaller than the northern purple area there. And God, again restored the uh, the kingdom of david up to the northern border of those, of that um, purple area so davids he did that he blessed uh, jeroboam jeroboam too he blessed him so much he became very rich he became very famous he became very strong and he became more wicked and then Jonah said to the Lord, Is this, I told you this, if you bless him, he's going to become more wicked. So why would God bless uh, Jeroboam too if he knew that he will become more wicked? God blessed him because of the people of Israel. Because the people of Israel were in a fix. In a fix. All of these nations, especially the Assyrians, were pushing on them and were attacking them all the time. In addition to that, they had a big war with their brothers in the south, in Judea. And then, to uh, to just uh, put the cherry on the cake, the king of the south from Egypt came up that coastal road and attacked them again. So they were pressed from all sides. And God said, he's going to bless the king Not because of the king's sake, but of Israel's sake. And for more than 40 years, things were great in Israel. They were strong, they pushed back. At that time, the power of the Assyrians uh, decreased, and Israel came back, uh, and they restored their territory, and their riches, and everything. But the king became more evil, just as Jonah had predicted. He became more evil. And this is why Jonah was angry with God. He said to God, God, it's not going to uh, to help if you're going to forgive them. And I know you, he says, I know you are compassionate and merciful and if they repent, you're going to forgive them. But their repentance is, going, is ju- not going to be genuine. It's just going to they're going to repent just so that you won't punish them. But if you don't punish them, then afterwards they will grow even more wicked than they were. And this is exactly what happened. But so he said that. He said that to to the Lord. And so when he went out into the desert and he sat, sat there in the desert and he looked on the city of Nineveh and he was waiting for God to fulfill his word, he wasn't looking at Nineveh the way the Lord was looking at Nineveh. So the Lord was looking at Nineveh with compassion and with mercy. And He didn't want to destroy the Ninevites. He was giving them an opportunity. Now, the, the word compassion, you know what, you, you know what this word means. But... There's more to this word than just to, to have to feel sorry for people. In this word, is, is the the idea of God seeing something different in those people? He's seeing potential in them. What potential did He see in the Ninevites? He saw their evil but he also saw something different. He saw that there is a potential there. And he saw that if he sends uh, Jonah there and Jonah preaches to them uh, that they must repent or his rest- destruction will follow, he saw that if they repent, there is the possibility, not a fact, but a possibility, that they will turn to him and they will become his people. Now that is amazing. That is absolutely magnificent. And so here is Jonah, and he's sitting there and he's waiting for God to, to, to zap Nineveh. And it's not happening. Because the Ninevites are in sack and ash, and they are just uh, repenting uh, by the decree of the king. And even their animals were in sackcloth and ash. And so God sees this and he says, they're repenting, so I will show mercy. But Jonah doesn't want this. Why doesn't Jonah want it? Because he's jealous of God. He knows that God is a righteous God and he will judge sin. And now he told them that God will judge sin. But he, uh, God didn't judge their sin, their wickedness. He had mercy on them. And this was a a great shock to to Jonah. This was what he didn't want. Now, God had this conversation with Jonah. He said to Jonah, you know, you're more concerned about your own comfort than you are about the people, the 120,000 people in Nineveh. And he's asked Jonah this question. Is it right? Brothers and sisters, we live in this city of Johannesburg. And Johannesburg is like Nineveh. God never let people without a witness. So, For example, when God uh, promised the land to Abraham, he said to Abraham, this land is going to be yours, but the people that live here are wicked. But you can't have this land just yet. It'll take 400 years. I'm giving them grace for 400 years. And so, 400 years after Abraham, the Israelites came back and they conquered the land. And then they destroyed the people. So, God had mercy on them. He gave them a period, a time of 400 years. After 400 years, the time was up. They haven't repented. Now we can say, how would they know to repent? Because God, God was his fair. He left them witnesses. One of these witnesses was Melchizedek. Another one was Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all of those. And after them most, I'm sure, many more. And so when God uh, wanted to, to, uh, to pour out judgment on Nineveh, he didn't leave them without a witness. He sent a witness to them by the name of Jonah. Now, if we look at our city, our city, Johannesburg, we live in the time of grace, in the time of mercy. God has grace on this city still. There will come a time when, when the time will be up, when the measure will be full. Just like it was for Nineveh, because 150 years after Jonah, God did destroy and Nineveh in the time of the prophet Nahum. So, because the Ninevites, their repentance was of short duration, just as Jonah had said. But God looks at uh, uh, Josie and he sees in Josie potential. He has compassion, just like he had compassion on the lost people that came to Jesus when he was there in, uh, in, in Israel. God has compassion on Josie. And like I said, he looks at Josie and what does he see when he sees Josie? He sees the evil, that's no, no doubt. But he sees the potential in the people to become his people. And he hasn't left Josie without a witness. He has put us here to be the witness. You and I, God First Church, and all the other churches, but especially you and I and God First Church, are given to to Josie, as a witness to Josie, so that we can preach the good news to them, the good news about Jesus Christ, and that perhaps they will repent. And when they repent, they become God's people. And when that happens, God wins. You see, God is a God that judges evil, but He doesn't want to destroy people just right out. He gives us a chance. He gives us opportunities. Yes, eventually the time runs out. But while it's still time, while it's still today, it's our responsibility to look at Jersey with the eyes of God, not with the eyes of Jonah. To look at Josie with compassion. To be, let our hearts be filled with love for our city. Because our city is even greater than Nineveh. 120,000 peoples in Nineveh. How many millions in Josie? So God, His heart is open for Josie. He does not condone the sin of Josie. Never. And He will judge that sin. But right now, it's a time of grace. And we are the witnesses that He's put here to proclaim the good news while it's still time of grace. Before the time is up. So I want to encourage you, brothers and sisters, all of us, not to give up. Not to be comfortable here Uh, in the church. Not to have a feeling of comfort and, you know, I have been saved and I'm happy. I know it's by grace and I'm very glad of that. But I am, I'm sorted. But to continue to look at the world through the eyes of God who had such a great compassion on the earth that he sent his only son. Because he looked at the people of the earth, he saw that they were... Like uh, like sheep without a shepherd, he sent his son. Why? So that those who repent can become his children. And so he saw the potential of the whole world population from the beginning to the end to become his people. He knows not everybody will, but he's still giving them a chance. So this is the, the magnificent lesson that we learn from Jonah and I want to ask the, the worship team to come up as we're going to sing one more song and while they're coming up let's just pray together okay so Don's saying we're not doing the song I've preached too long So let's pray. Lord Jesus, we give thanks to you for what you did for us. We give thanks to you because you came to us out of compassion for us. You came to us because you saw the potential in us to be people of God. And you made it possible by sacrificing your own love, your own life, on the cross. And you made a covenant with us from your, through your blood that if we believe in you, you will be our God and Savior and we will be your people. And we thank you for that, Lord. We pray that you will work through, in our hearts through your Holy Spirit to just give us the same heart that you have, to have compassion on the peoples of the earth and to see the potential that you saw, even in evil places, even in places like Russia and and Ukraine and the whole Western world, the whole world. We pray, Lord, that you will fill us with your Spirit, so that we will have the power to be your witnesses in a dark and evil world so that your light can come into their hearts and they become your people. We ask that in your wonderful name, Lord Jesus. Amen.